Hello and welcome to Connected episode 252. It's made possible by our sponsors, ExpressVPN, Hover, and Moo. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined by Mr. Federico Vatici. Hello, Stephen Hackett. How are you? I'm good, Federico Vatici. Good to know, good to know, good to know. Yeah, I think everyone's good. I'm all right. Uh, We are joined by somebody else. He is extremely under the weather. (laughs) He used to be Mike Hurley. Yeah, it's a a husking shell, uh, (laughs) Mike Hurley. (laughs) And we have limited Mike to single word answers. So, uh, Mike, how are you? Fine. Good to hear it. (laughs) We are going to start the show with follow-up because that's what we do at the beginning of the show. Good. (laughs) You weren't asked a question. You will speak when spoken to, sir. You should just say, okay. Okay. (laughs) I want to start with the MacBook Air. It was revised. We spoke about it last week. And uh, there were uh, kind of rumors at the time that maybe one way to get the price down is that Apple shipped it with a slower SSD. And uh, it seems like that that could be true. So there's an article over on Mac Rumors where someone compared the 128 gig version of the 2018 and 2019. Write speeds are the same or even faster, but read speeds seem to be up to like 35% slower. And it's just tested on the base 128 gig storage. So I don't think we have numbers for the higher capacities. This doesn't really bother me. I mean, these SSDs are really fast. The T2 makes them even faster. Like, I'm not particularly worried about this. I don't think that you would notice this in practice. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you're coming from, like, an older MacBook Air, like the old style. Everything else about this new machine is so much faster than, you know, you're not going to you're not gonna miss that that percentage. So... It doesn't sound like a big deal to me, but then again, I don't have a strong opinion about these things. So it's true. Uh, Ma- Mike, do you have an opinion about these things? Acceptable. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Stephen. <laughs> Moving on. We also spoke about Zoom, the uh, voiceover IP teleconference, you know, phone calls on the internet software, and how they had some pretty nasty security bugs, including. <laughs> Including running a web server on your Mac, that's well, fine. Is it, is it a bug if it's if it's been done on purpose? Like no, it's just it a, a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really bad choice. It turns out that Zoom software was light, white labeled to other providers like this. So there are other companies uh, like Ring Central and uh, a couple in China that basically just bought Zoom software and you know they sort of run the service themselves as a competitor, but. I guess Zoom is still getting money from them because they bought their software. Of course, that feature slash bug slash bad decision followed that software to all these other all these other places, and it now is being patched as well. And it's sort of the same situation as before. These companies like RingCentral are patching their software, but if you uninstalled their software, there's no way to do it because the web server is still running. So Apple is using their mechanism to kill the web server components of these other applications. There's a link over on Daring Fireball that talks about how that works in detail, uh, how that is on by default. It requires no user action. Like you'd have to go into system preferences, software update advanced to go in and turn this off. And I I don't think anyone should do that. I think everyone should leave it on Mm because I I really believe that Apple only uses this in the most extreme 
circumstances, right? This is not something I would imagine that the process with an Apple to pull this trigger is complex because they, they need to make sure that they're not abusing this power. And uh, I think I, I agree with Gruber that they seem to have the system done appropriately. Um, Mike, do you think that Apple is handling these sorts of things appropriately? Complicated. Just a one word answer that leads to other questions, but we'll never know. <laughs> It's. I feel like this is exactly the kind of thing that I don't want to think about. Like um, staying up to date on all the security fixes that I'm supposed to do myself. Like in this case, you're supposed to like stop the terminal, stop the server over the terminal, and delete the files and make sure it never starts up again. This is exactly the the kind of thing I never want to worry about. So. I I absolutely think this is the right approach of like issue this kind of silent update for extremely bad security mm-hmm. bugs and leave everything yeah. else for the standard uh, security system software update um, and it, and it feels like you know of all companies that may abuse this feature it feels like Apple is the one that I should be the least concerned about. And it's interesting, too, because Apple always, as far as we know, I guess, they've always disclosed when they use this, right? Like, maybe there's a, I mean, we would never know, right, Right. if they've used it and not told us. But I get the feeling that when Apple feels like they need to go down this road, then they they let people know, which is good. I kind of want to believe that there's this, like a secret, like um, you know, like, like what's it called? Like the the president of the United States has the football, right? The, right. The, the, the nuclear the, codes. The, yeah, I kind of want to believe that there's a similar thing for you know, this kind of silent security updates. It's like a yeah. secret room where you need to be ex- escorted into as an engineer with your computer and then you write the code and then there's a huge button and Tim Cook looking over your shoulder and he says something, you know, very uh, dramatic. I can think of a good phrase right now, but, you know, something like push it off or, you know, I mean, it's not very dramatic, that one. Still, you know, I kind of, uh, uh, on a more serious note, I'm really fascinated by the idea of like engineers working with top security clearance at Apple. Like, I, I love to be, you know, inside that process and just see what it looks like. You know, you have these engineers handling source code for software that runs on millions of computers, like when the whole FBI thing went down a couple of years ago. Like, that stuff is super fascinating to me. Um, security and engineers and top level access to this stuff um there should be a tv show about this someday <laughs> maybe it should be on apple tv plus i have i have a sidebar about system preferences i know federico you're going to be super into this so sure so- software sure. update used to be a standalone app and they rolled it into system then it was in the app store which was dumb i don't want to open the app store to update my os oh yeah that used to be a thing yeah, weird, right? Like for years, I mean, like several yeah, releases. Yeah. And then in Mojave, they put it back into system preferences where it belongs. But here's my issue. Soft, why does software update, which lives inside of system preferences, use the system preferences icon as its own icon? It's like those those cogged gears from iOS. It's like that all the way down. And so I have a proposal that Apple bring back the old software update icon there is a link in the show notes you can go see this icon over in my screenshot library is it the globe yes so it is a it is a a sphere with uh crisscrossing lines actually if you kind of squint it it doesn't look that unlike the connected logo honestly um (laughs) 
Oh, maybe. The, so that's where it comes from. Uh, and it has arrows going around it to indicate movement. Not unlike the Relay logo. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> Guys, I feel like you need to have a talk with your graphic designer. <laughs> we have a problem. And here's the thing. The old logo still exists in Mac OS. So again, there's some there's some screenshots. The Xcode command line tools installer um, is in your system library right now, and it uses this old icon. So there's a screenshot of that. But then, because I was deep in the weeds at this point, then I remembered mm. the Java <laughs> web start icon. So Federico, I want you to look at this if you haven't already. Open that up in your browser. It is a... Uh, oh, if you could describe this, please. Uh, for the audience uh, uh exhibit b we are looking at a cup of uh, unspecified be- brown beverage um cup appears to have a handle reminiscent of a tea cup in that the handle is very big and the there are surrounding arrows uh that encircle the cup in a clockwise direction the arrows are gray and have a gradient and inside the cup again there's a some kind of beverage it appears to be an american take on coffee Mm -hmm. or a very transparent hot chocolate so (laughs) i am not sure what i'm looking at what is is it it because java is like a beverage in english yeah yeah java is related to coffee somehow i don't know okay so if you are looking at this and you zoom in on it. This is an extremely old school. This has been part of Mac OS 10 forever. It's so skeuomorphic that if you zoom in, there are there's like a little half dozen little air bubbles on where yes. on the side of the inside of the cup where the liquid meets the inside surface. I love that detail. Mm. <laughs> Why can't icons be good again? Make icons great again is what we're saying. Mm. I think is what we're saying. Oh no. Oh no. So uh, so Apple, if you want to replace the system preferences, gears for the software update, bring the old software update icon back. And look, we'll even let you use the artwork because it's clearly so accidentally close to ours. Let's play a game, Stephen. You sent us a screenshot of this Finder directory. It's located into System Library Core Services. I am going to go through five of these well-hidden Mac utilities. Okay. And in two seconds, you need to, or three seconds, just a very quick sentence, you need to tell me what it does, each app. Oh boy. Okay. Can you I ready? can I be looking at this folder as well? Or do I need to have yes. it closed? Okay. Ready? Okay. Image ev- image events. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> help viewer. Uh, that shows the help files within applications. Memory slot utility. That is for the Mac Pro to manage the PCI slots. Net auth agent. That I believe is used to log into remote, like if you're using remote home folders, but I'm not sure. Keychain circle notification. <laughs> it tells you about your keychain. <laughs> Can you pick the dock? I know what that one does. <laughs> la, la, last, last one, last one. Jar launcher. That launches <laughs> Java applets. <laughs> Are you serious? I think so. You have an answer? Dot jar is oh, like Java well. apps, okay. right? Well done. Jar, jar files. Sure. Jar sure, files, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's uh, a Java stuff. I knew that. Mm-hmm. I knew that. It was a test. Yeah. There, mm-hmm. There's some amazing thing. This is a kind of like a, a catch-all folder. Like there's a, the app that you use when you add a printer. That's in here. You know, the dock is in here. Like if you want to where the dock lives, it's in core services. <laughs> All sorts of fun stuff. Spotlight's in here. 
Good stuff. So that's uh, that's a place that we worked. We went today. I, I've been told by sources who typed it in the Google document that Mike wishes that Macs could install updates on shutdown like Windows does because no one wants to restart their machines. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that would mean security updates would be installed less often? More. Okay. We got that covered. <laughs> this is like <laughs> we have a we have a we have like a, an oracle, and the oracle has spoken <laughs> single word answers. It's like, <laughs> hey, Mister Oracle, what do you think about this? Yeah, good. <laughs> um, so yeah, the. I mean, Jason Snell's in big trouble here. If Apple brings back the six-color Apple logo and calls it the Six Colors Edition, mm-hmm. it's gonna be it's gonna awkward. be awkward. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hope not. I hope to, <laughs> uh, I hope they call it like the you know in classic Apple sort of vintage Apple or classic Apple, uh, not six color, <laughs> because that could be confusing. Yeah, this is a weird rumor. So Mac Rumors has this, and I love this. In the article, they say this could very well be untrue. Which, like, is that how they report rumors? I, I like, I like that there's a, a a risk component involved with this rumor. It's like we're playing roulette here. Except there's no real consequences, right? Like, <laughs> is the logo on the new laptop yeah. colors? I don't know. Like, the, the very low stake. I think it is exciting. So the rumor says that Apple could reintroduce its classic rainbow logo to some of its new products as early as this year. And uh, they have mock-ups, of course, of the iPhone XR, but next year's iPhone XR, so not with without the... Um, no, this is this year, so it's got the blue one in there. So rainbow logos on that, and then a what is a shockingly shiny MacBook Pro with no bezels, and the back seems to be like a mirrored stainless steel. Apple, please do not ship this laptop with a stainless steel lid. But if they put that aside, a glowing rainbow Apple logo on the back. I think these look awesome. I, I for a long time, uh, Jason does did this on his old MacBook Air. There was like vinyl stickers that you could cut out and put over your Apple logo on your laptop. So it was, it was the six color logo. I love this and I think Apple should do it. And you know what? I think it's, uh, I think it's a good idea. I would honestly consider one because it looks fun and vintage and I like that, even though I actually never lived through the six-color Apple mm-hmm. era. Uh, I like to pretend I did or that I knew about it, at least. Um, so I would actually consider one. Uh, and it could be it could be you know a fun way to sort of uh, spice up the lineup a little more instead of the classic you know red and blue and white that we have now they could they could go you know beyond that and do something something a little more extra something a little nicer so this could be fun I like Do you it. think this would be like a special edition or would this would just be like how all the iPhones come I, I I think it could be a special edition I'm struggling to find the kind of a special occasion for that special edition, maybe there doesn't yeah. need to be one. Maybe. You know, This is the same company that celebrated the App Store's 10th anniversary on its 11th year with the poker game. That's, so, still, that's still, every time I think about that, I die <laughs> a little inside. <laughs> Come on, Apple. I mean, so they might as well celebrate the iPhone, the iPhone's 10th anniversary <laughs> <laughs> the next year. So They're a couple years <laughs> off now. Mike, is this something that you would buy? Yes. Good to know. Good, good. Very good. Before we move on, uh, we are recording this on July 17th. August is quickly approaching, and August, as you may know, is Relay's anniversary month. The network will turn five years old 
this August, which is uh, hard to believe. And we're going to do uh, we're doing several things to mark the occasion. One, you know about we're doing a live show in San Francisco. We would love if you would come out. Uh, we still have some tickets for sale. We are going to have a wide range of relay hosts doing a whole bunch of different things. So this is not like a live connected. Uh, we've done that for this year, and and we've put that back in the box for probably a long time because Federico can't get any more tattoos. He's almost out of body space. So those are now... Well, you would like to think so. Yeah, sweet, sweet neck you? tattoo. Uh, but it's going to be like a hodgepodge of, of relay content and hosts. We're looking forward to that. So there's a link in the show notes. Uh, August also is sort of our membership drive. We're going to be talking about this more in the coming weeks, but every episode does, every show does a special members-only episode. So we are, we are hard at work on planning those. And there's a lot of fun stuff coming. So you can learn more about that at relay.fm slash membership. Uh, and uh, there's probably some more stuff coming that I can't talk about, but it's going to be awesome. So those links are all in the show notes. We're going to move on to our, we basically have a collection of tiny topics this week. It's kind of a weird week. Uh, we just got a, a sort of a grab bag of stuff. But first, I would like to tell you about our first sponsor, and that is ExpressVPN. You might think that nobody would want your online data or to snoop on what you're doing, but if you are browsing the web without anything to protect your privacy, you risk that very thing happening. You know, ad trackers, people with bad intents, they're all they're all out there, they all can collect our data. But it doesn't have to happen, which is why I use and recommend ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer, your phone, your iPad. It encrypts your data and hides your public IP address. You just download the app and you click to connect and you're ready to go. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and it uses new cutting-edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure there's no logs of what you're doing online. It costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I'm getting ready to be out of town on a bunch of trips, and you better believe it that I'll be using ExpressVPN in airports, hotels, Airbnbs. Uh, I can't trust that public Wi-Fi stuff. I want to make sure that I have peace of mind. Protect your online activity today. To find out how you can get three months free, head over to expressvpn.com slash connected. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash connected for three months free with a one-year package. You can take back your online privacy with ExpressVPN. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of Connected and all of Relay FM. Tiny topic number one, and this is, I was I would say inspired, but basically I just ripped it off from another podcast. Uh, Dubai Friday recently uh, on episode 140 had a conversation about how they name their devices. And I realized in the 26 years of doing the show together, I'm not sure we've ever talked about this. And uh, so Federico, let's start with you. How do you name your devices? Well, I try to brand my devices with my name as much as possible because i because i don't i don't have an ego problem um therefore my phone is called either teachy max or max teachy lately i've been playing around with max teachy more and of course it's camel cased so no space between them uh sort of like you would write max stories for example so max teachy is the name of my phone um my airpods are the teachy pods. So of course, you know, they go well together. Take a different approach with the, with the iPad for some reason. Um, uh, because I have two, I have the 12.9 and the 11-inch Pro. I call them Big Pro and Small Pro. And again, camel case, no space. And the Mac Mini is just called Mini. 
so that when I'm on my home network, I can just type in mini.local and it can, you know, SMB or SSH connects to, to my Mac Mini like that because it's just called Mini. I don't have a strong preference for the Apple Watch. I think in previous years, I used to rename uh, Federico's Apple Watch, which is the default name, to like Series 3 or Series 4. But I haven't done it for, I haven't done it since my last restore of watchOS. So I should pay attention to that again. Again, I'm not too happy with my Big Pro, Small Pro Mm. naming scheme. I prefer the iPhone one and the AirPods one. It's very fun. Oh, and the Apple TV, it's called Big TV. Uh, because it's connected to a big television set, like 55 inches. So it's a big TV. Uh, and that's how I name things. I feel like your iPad names are probably the weakest part of that system. M- maybe you yeah, could I do like so. uh, big teachy, small teachy. Or, you know, I don't know. Mm, but that but that would imply a, a big me and a small me. But you have max teachy. So I don't know. You don't, it's maximum Federico. Yeah, and that's and that's good. You don't want minimum mm. teachy. Maybe. Right? So uh, mine is really simple and pretty boring. Uh, I basically just stick my Twitter handle ISMH in front of it. So like my MacBook Pro is ISMH 15. It's a 15 inch. My iMac Pro is ISMH Pro. iPad is ISMH 11. My iPhone is ISMH 10s. Very boring. I've done that for years. You know, uh, I used to. If I broke a phone, then I would name its its replacement. I would increase the number so like ismh uh seven plus two but that got out of hand and then every time i saw my phone's name i was reminded of my uh occasional drop damage so i got rid of that system because it made me sad Hmm. um mike in a single word do you have a naming scheme for your devices no do you wish you had one yes okay moving on federico tell me what is happening with Airmail? Uh, it's uh, it's happening that Airmail um, released a new app on the on the App Store, and I should uh, I should clarify that Airmail uh, Zero, which is the new app, is the sponsor of my website this week, um, and it's a new client that works exclusively with Gmail. Um, I haven't really paid much attention to this. Um, First of all, because I don't handle my sponsorships. And second, because I'm busy writing my iOS review. Um, my understanding is that in doing this uh, and in updating, uh, you know, they have released a new app, but they've also updated the business model for the standard Airmail uh, app experience. And they, in doing this, they have um, rethought some of the decisions around charging for features. And so what they're doing now is push notifications that used to be uh, available as part of the standard Airmail purchase uh, for the, you know, until last week, basically, they now require an annual or monthly subscription. So it used to be a free feature, now it's part of a subscription. And there has been a lot of outrage and a lot of uh, pushback from users and a lot of blog posts uh, all over the web about this. Uh, you know, outcry from users about uh, previously free feature becoming a, a subscription, and I, and I think that this um, this whole controversy it sort of taps into the, um, the all of the you know this uh, underlying feelings that people have about subscriptions, and it sort of enca- I think it encapsulates what people dislike about subscriptions. And again, I feel bad for these guys, first of all, because I know them personally. They are Italian. They are a small team. They won an Apple Design Awards a couple of years ago, and I, and I met up with them at WWDC. They are 
you know, as far as I know, super nice people. And again, I don't say this because <laughs> they're sponsoring my website. Uh, I just, I happen to know them personally. They're fun and they obviously care about Airmail, which I personally used as my client for a long time before switching to Spark. Um, but I feel like they made, this is just a bad decision and it was communicated poorly. Um, if you're planning to switch the business model for a feature that people are already using in their apps, you need to tell them months in advance. You need to have a plan. You need to have a blog post. You need to outline a strategy. You need to explain why. You can't just release an update on the App Store and people, when they next open the app, they will be presented with a splash screen that says, oh, and now notifications require a subscription. Because that is just a bad business pra practice. And it's, it wasn't even communicated poorly. It was not communicated at all, which makes it even worse. And second, there's an argument to be made for the fact that this is against App Store guidelines. Hmm. Uh, you're in, in theory, if you were to follow the law exactly, you're not supposed you're not supposed to take a feature that used to be part of a paid upfront app and lock it behind the subscription suddenly without any previous warning. Um, then again, do all developers follow? Does even Apple follow their own guidelines by the letter? Not necessarily. Uh, so there's a, there's a second argument. I think the main argument here is the idea of indie developers are struggling. And it's we're talking about $5. But it's not just the monetary amount of the subscription. I think it's the practice. And it's the leaving people with a bad feeling. Because I feel like, and this may sound, it may sound ridiculous, but if these developers warned people six months ago or last year and they said look very clearly we are a small team running push notifications costs us money we need to keep we need to start charging for this feature and here's what we're going to do and here's how we're going to handle the transition people and i i'm i'm very confident that people would have would have even paid ten dollars or fifteen dollars even more than what they are charging now but you catch them by surprise you don't communicate at all. You just bring up a pop-up that says, surprise, now you got to give us money. And you just leave people with a bad feeling, you know? And, and they get angry and they are frustrated and they get upset. And now it's a whole mess. This is my interpretation of the story. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand their position of you need your app to make money so you can keep building it. And they've tinkered with it over the years and the business model. But so I don't envy that problem, but... I think to your point, there are better ways you could handle this. And I think all of their errors come down to just the communication with their users. You know, you can't surprise people with this sort of thing. If you need to take something that was part of the app and, and section it off into uh, a subscription, you know, I would think, are there other things you could do, you know, if you need to pay for the notification server, just for instance, Maybe you can leave notifications in the app, but have new features that are behind some new subscription. But it feels like taking something that was there and removing it and putting it behind a subscription, that, that I think that's why people are upset. And I, I totally understand that. Yeah. And look, um, I don't, you know, at Max Stories, we, we deal with a lot of indie developers. So we are very aware of the struggles of the independent developer or the indie development studio made of two, three people in 2019. But we also need to face reality in that if you want to survive 
the in the app store these days you may be an indie but you need to behave like a you know you need to behave like a serious big studio being indie does not excuse you from just charging money without explaining anything and this is something that I learned as the owner of an indie website years ago the just you know slapping this term being indie does not excuse you from following basic business practices that customers appreciate and customers demand and i feel like in this case this is a good example of indie developers thinking oh you know the app store is unsustainable we need to start asking for money and everybody will understand and I sort of, and I sort of, uh, I can sort of, sort of see how and why this might have um, passed as an acceptable strategy years ago, maybe five years ago. You know, these days when where many more apps are based on subscriptions, and it feels like every other day there's a new subscription service or an existing product or app is switching to subscriptions. Even though you're indie, does not mean you don't need to communicate it beforehand. Does not mean you 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 just can go without outlining your plans. And so, you know, the situation has clearly changed. Uh, five or six years ago, we I remember because I used to do this. We would have criticized all those people that were upset about the developer asking for money, for more money. But now. When a developer switches to a subscription, which is the popular business model these days, it's just common to complain about it. Because we are, you know, I think everybody has a bit of a subscription fatigue going on. That's also a factor. So, and, you know, there are a lot of arguments to be made about whether it's Apple's fault in that Apple is not enabling a more traditional, you know, paid upgrade business model. That's a separate discussion. But in this case, I feel like, you know, with all due respect to the Ehrman folks, um, because it's a really good app, it's, it's a bit buggy, but it's always been buggy. We've always said that. But, you know, it's, got, it's still got that kind of functionality that you cannot get anywhere else. But in this case they should have taken the time to explain what they were doing beforehand. And they not only, uh, I think they would have avoided all of this, they actually, I think they would have been able to ask for even more money if they were, and it's not a matter of being honest, it's just a matter of being proactive and thinking about it beforehand. That's at least my take. Yeah, the idea of, of having some sort of trust with your users, that that is the heart of so you know, the app store is weird, right? There are a bunch of users who download an app and they don't understand that there's a person or a company behind them, right? A lot of people think these apps come from Apple or or whatever, especially these like, you know, if you're not Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, it's like, oh, I don't know who makes AirML. Probably just like some people somewhere. And I think people, a lot of users just assume that developers make good livings and a lot of them do, but a lot of them really struggle as well. And I don't know where AirML is on that spectrum, but when you are indie and you've like crafted this persona for yourself in sort of the ecosystem of users who care about indie development, like people who read your website or listen to this show, and you you do something to damage that trust, like that's really hard to come back from. And it, I don't think it helps Airmail that they're in a situation where like they've built an app that is in a category that is full of failure right? Like how many good mail clients have come and gone over the years? Because it's a really hard business to be in. And part of me looks at this and thinks, 
airmail's done. Like, I don't know that. I hope that's not true. I really, I mean, I don't, I really don't wish that on them. But if you're making changes to try to shore up the business and you do it in a way that burns a lot of user trust, like that's a real, that's a bad combo. And I hope they pull through this. I really do. But I just worry about it. So best of luck to those guys. But I think that hopefully they've learned their lesson about, about communicating clearly with their users, because that's uh that's a pretty bad er- error in my book. Mike, do you think that email apps are good on iOS or do you think they are bad on iOS? <laughs> bad. <laughs> we have some more tiny topics, but I'm going to tell you about our second sponsor. That's our friends over at Hover. If you've been thinking about building an online identity, you can get started with one simple step, buying a domain name. And with Hover, it's easy to find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. I've used Hover for years, well before they sponsored any of our shows. And a domain that I've had there a really long time, of course, is 512pixels.net. And that uh, name comes from the size of the screen on the those original compact Macs, like the original Macintosh on that line. And it helps set everything about the Mac, you know, moving forward. It's where 72 DPI, like it comes from that original screen. So when I branded the site, I knew that I wanted to pay, you know, pay respect to a nerdy aspect of, of you know, Macintosh computing. And Hover made it really easy to find that domain, find domains related to it, and they've been there ever since. Hover respects their customers. There's no upsells. It's a really clean user interface when you go through the checkout process. They're not trying to throw things in your cart the last minute you don't need. Uh, It's a very simple process to go through. And if you have any questions, they have amazing customer support. You can get in touch with them. They can answer questions about DNS, about registration, all sorts of things. They actually helped me out of jams in the past with DNS in particular. They know what they're talking about. You're not going to get handed off to somebody else. Hover has over 400 domain name extensions to choose from. You can get all the normal ones, .com, .net, but you can get uh, weird ones too, .coffee, .ceo, .photography. You can spice things up and really make your site domain name stand out so no matter what you want to showcase to the world, you can do it with Hover. If you're new to Hover, you can get 10% off any domain extension for the first year. Head on over to hover.com connected. Make that first step towards building your online identity today. The URL one more time is hover.com connected for 10% off any domain extension for, the, for your first year. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and FM. Okay, this is going to be tricky because Tiny Topic 3 and 4 are basically about Mike. And uh, and Mike is in full Oracle mm-hmm. mode. Um, so, Mike, I know you bought a new Echo show, which uh, for listeners is the Echo with the screen built into it. So you can interact with your voice, but it can also show you stuff like a time, music playing, uh, recipes. Uh, occasionally, you can play YouTube videos depending on how Amazon and Google feel about each other. It's a pretty neat device, and they've the first one was really, I thought, really ugly, but I think they've come a long way in their industrial design. But, Mike, you had an Echo as well, uh, I think, in your kitchen. And so you've, you, have you replaced your Echo with an Echo Show? Yes. Is that because the Echo wasn't doing something you wanted? Old. It was old. Okay. And uh, you can't stand old technology. Mm-hmm. I know you get the heebie-jeebies coming in my office, so... Or did it have? Or did, oh, did it have some sort of problem? No. Okay, and the Echo Show resolves that, I guess. Yes. Uh, you also have hearing. <laughs> they had a hearing problem. Okay, 
This is going to be very exciting to edit. Yes. Do uh, you have a HomePod as well? Are you using the HomePod more or less than the Echo devices? More. Okay. Do have the Echo devices stood their ground because they do things the HomePod cannot do? Yes. Is an example of that showing recipes? Yes. This is difficult. I'm just like working through the bullet bullet list. Uh, you also, I believe, had a kitchen iPad. Does the Echo Show replace that as well? Yes. Interesting. So you are showing recipes, viewing timers. Groceries. Groceries, doing your grocery. Oh, yeah, because you use a, a grocery service that ties in with the Echo, correct? Yes. Okay. So the Echo Show is like a, a kitchen computer for you, really? Yes. Okay. Does it sound good? Uh, I know the original Echo Show, I was not impressed hardly with any of the hardware, but it didn't sound very good to me. Of course, the HomePod, I think, sounds really good. But does the uh, does the Echo Show sound good? Bassy. Oh, so it, it, it drops the bass. Yes. Do you, uh, mm. do you throw parties with the Echo Show? No. Why not? Boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, you're, you don't have to answer this, but you're boring or the Echo Show is... We'll just move on from that. Have you found that having the screen improves what you were doing with the Echo before? Yes. Uh, I also know that the Echo Show does like digital photo frame stuff. Are you utilizing that? Yes. It pulls images uh, from what photo service? Like, How do you get pictures on it? Amazon. <laughs> so you're uploading photos to Amazon Photos, I guess, or whatever they call it? Yes. Okay. And you've just uploaded a subset of images that you really want to see there. Yeah. Um, I don't know this. Is the Echo Show a touchscreen device? Can you touch the screen and it responds? Yeah. Are you doing that in the kitchen? Sometimes? Yes. Yes, sometimes. Okay. Uh, you know, when the HomePod came out, I think we talked about it on the show, it was like, well, is there room for Apple to like slap an iPad mini to the front of a HomePod and you know call it the HomePod show? And I, th- I think that is interesting. But what's so great about voice assistants in my mind is that you're when you're in the kitchen, your hands are dirty, right? You've got some sort of meat juice on them or you're cutting something up and you don't want to touch something. Federico, meat you juice. have a lot of HomePods. I think like six. Yeah. Do you have one? In- no, I have three. You have three. Is the, is, uh, just remind me, is the... Do you have one in the kitchen for kitcheny type stuff? Yes, but it's um, but it's way up on the shelf. It's not near the meat juice, Steven. That's good. I mean, the HomePod's covered in cloth. You would never get that out of there, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. And Federico, you moved from Echo devices to the HomePod just like I did. Do you have any anything like in sort of like, again, like talking in the domain of the kitchen that the Echo did better or that you miss having moved to the HomePod? Sylvia likes to say that um, the Echo was more accurate in understanding our commands. Um, I don't see that. I think my accent is always problematic to an extent with these assistants. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything that I miss? I, I feel like it was fun to play around with the integrations uh, mm-hmm. with, the, with the Echo. Like you can enable a web service and you have all these skills to play around with. But then again, I enabled more skills than I was actually using. And it's also hard for me to compare because since I got a HomePod, um, was it last year? I think, um, you know, by going all in with the Apple ecosystem, you know, multiple HomePods and the watch and using reminders instead of a third-party task manager. um, It's, you know, I, I don't see 
the advantages of having an echo at this point. I don't use uh, I don't use any services that cannot be integrated with Siri, and I use you know I use Apple the the Apple TV a lot now. Uh, I use Apple Music. Uh, back in the day when I was using Todoist and Spotify and all these third parties, these uh, third party services it made sense for me to have an Echo, but it feels like at this point I don't miss it. Um, I, I I guess you could say that I miss the something that is fun about the Echo. I think is the fact that Amazon continuously updates it and there's like new models, new versions, new features. It feels like more of a product in development, whereas the HomePod feels sort of like a mistake that Apple made and that they've been trying to rectify over time, um, which is a very different mindset. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I guess the the Echo has more of a community around it uh, of all the skills and new models and new versions and, you know, uh, constant updates from Amazon, whereas, you know, we're lucky if we get a one software update for the HomePod a year. So it's very different from that point of view. But otherwise, I don't miss the Echo. That's pretty much how I feel about it, too. We've I still have an Echo out here in the office just to keep an eye on it. But I don't uh, I don't really miss the Echoes in the kitchen. Like we have, a, we have a HomePod in the kitchen and one in the bedroom, and I have one out here. So I have three as well. And uh, really the last holdout for me was multiple timer support. And when they added that to the HomePod, that basically solved my like last issue with it, especially in the domain of the kitchen. Like... You can name your timers and you can ask it, you know, how much time is left on this timer or that timer, and it keeps up with it all. And I, I actually, I think I may disagree disagree with y'all's assessment at home, but like, I feel like the HomePod does better under early, better listening than the, the Echo did. And I know like with the kids, the HomePod seems to understand them better than it did, than the Echo did. I, I don't, I, that's hard to prove. Like I, I've done no testing, right? But it seems to me like my kids, when they ask the HomePod for something, it gets it right basically all the time. And I feel like the Echo, that wasn't true. Yes. Is that is that true with the kids in your household, Mike? Yes. <laughs> Do you have any kids in your household? No. Okay. Just want to clarify that. So it's it sounds like okay. So so Mike, on a scale of one to ten, ten being the most happy, one being the most unhappy, where do you rate the Echo Show? Seven. Where would you rank the old Echo that you replaced? Six. Where do you put the HomePod? Seven. Okay. Wow, that's high praise for the Echo Show. I think. All right. So we got through that one. Some uh. somehow. I'm just going to I'm just going to uh call an audible and cut the next one. We'll come back to Mike and the iPad OS beta. Yeah. Cuz uh that was that was painful. Moving on then, there are some more iPhone I don't want to say rumors, but it's something. So we talked about a second ago about the the 6 color logo coming back. But there are uh now some uh, what do we call these Federico like production mod like what are these? Dummies, production dummy Dumb, models. Dummy, dummy units, yeah. Dummy units. Uh, I think so. So, so the, yeah, so these are, uh, they come out this time every year. They are not functioning iPhones, right? But they are enclosures. And I think they're basically designed for case makers to start working on, you know, their products. And uh, so some of these have come out. There's a video in the show notes of an MKBHD video he posted last night of this. Of uh, two uh, or three three models. So the for for lack of better naming, what we will call the eleven, 
the 11 R and the 11 max. And we, we've seen the, these renders before where they're, you know, the, the 11s have three cameras. The uh, R has two, but the camera bump is the same on both. It, it kind of looks like an Apple watch is like slowly rising out of the surface of the back of the phone. What do you think about this look Federico? And, and what do you think about uh, a third camera? What, what you would want out of that? I love the idea of a third camera, uh, right? I think the more, especially because I was sort of um, not, uh, yeah, maybe bored with the with the XS and with the, you know, we've talked about the pictures that come out from the XS camera by default. So I'm all in with the idea of let's bring in a third camera and see what we can do. So that sounds fun, especially if it's going to be an ultra-wide camera. Mm-hmm. I watched the M- MKBHD video and he speculates how you may end up you know, shooting like ultra-wide 4K video, which sounds incredible on a phone. Yeah. So I'm all into that, right? But this design, I feel like we need to talk about it because it's not good. I mean, if this is, of course, we don't know if, you know, we're going to get the person says, oh, you guys are all talking about, you know, this is all rumor. Okay, sure. So to that guy, we respond that we are aware of the fact that we are talking about rumors at this point. Although they proved to be quite accurate in the past. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I don't, uh, at this stage, I don't like it. I think... It is, um, uh, th- there's a multiple problems going on here for me. Um, so let's just dispense with the, um, with the mock-ups that we saw until a few weeks ago. The ones where there used to, th- there was a huge camera bump, the huge camera square, whatever you want to call it, uh, tile. I've seen some people call it a camera tile, which I guess it makes sense. But the ones with the with all the trypophobia going on with the holes, <laughs> that mm-hmm. was terrible. That was a terrible look. I couldn't even bring myself to look at those mockups because yeah. I I very much suffer. Like I think everybody else on Earth, I suffer from that. You know the fear of, of holes. Do not Google it. Trust me. So what you're referring to is. There are kind of two versions of this. One, the older version, the older version right. that used to float around until a few weeks ago. That was terrible. Right. Was- so, so in that one, the uh, the island that the cameras are on, you know, right now, like on the iPhone 10 and higher, uh, the cameras are sunk into black glass, and so unless you are under direct light, you can't really see where the lenses start and the black area begins. The earlier version of this, that raised section, instead of being black was the body color of the iPhone. So instead of a camera bump, it's all black and there's lenses kind of embedded in it. It was a camera bump in silver or gold or whatever. And the lenses very noticeably kind of floating in the middle of it. And it's uh, it's not good. I agree with you. <laughs> not, not a good move. And now the rumors seem to point to, okay, it's the same sort of construction of camera bump that we've had where it's raised, there's a lip around it, and it's all black. The surface is all black glass, and the you know the lenses and the flash and everything are sort of embedded into that. And it kind of hides the details, and it avoids the uh, the horrific uh, problem that you described. I agree, though, with MKBHD that the new version of these dummy units also does not look great. In that the camera bump is huge. And it, it it really it really doesn't look nice because it's not centered. He compared this camera bump to the one in the Huawei Mate 20 
Pro, I want to say. One of those, anyway. Um, and that looked a lot more balanced to me. Because in the Huawei phone, it was smaller and centered. And I think my great my greatest issue with these mock-ups is the imbalance of the of this huge camera bump that's tucked all the way to into the upper left corner of the phone. It just looks like it just looks imbalanced to me from a visual standpoint. To the point where you know phones always had a camera bump in the upper left corner, uh, but when it was small, when it used to be a small bump, it didn't bother me visually. It's been prog- it's it's gotten bigger and bigger progressively over the years as Apple has added the second camera and made the whole thing, you know, the whole bump bigger. Yeah. But there was still like a fine line between the bump is bigger, but it doesn't look visually imbalanced. And now when you have a square, it looks like half of the phone is one thing and the other half is another device completely. And so having it be in the upper left corner really does it for me. I don't like it. And I look at that, you know, I look at that dummy unit and I look at any other Android phone, including the Huawei one, and I and I'm like, yeah, this looks so much nicer. It looks so much better. If Apple were to go with this design, of course, it's not finalized and all of that. But I look at the the Huawei phone that MKBHD had in the video and that iPhone 11 dummy unit and the iPhone 11 looks terrible to me. And then you add in things like it's sort of a boring design because, yeah, we get it. Uh, It's the same iPhone 10 look with the notch and all of that. Not a huge issue for me. But then again, I look at other, you know, I was recently I discovered this is a quick aside. I discovered that in the mall uh, that's five minutes away from me, uh, they replaced one of the shops inside the mall with the Xiaomi store. And the Xiaomi store is basically, it looks like a, like a weird, like a, it looks like a bizarro Apple store <laughs> that in addition to phones also sells toothbrushes and like um, <laughs> thermostats and stuff like that. And I was in the store because I'm actually intrigued by some of the smart home uh, devices stuff that Xiaomi is doing because I can sort of hook it up to HomeKit and, and sort of make it act as a bridge for Zigbee, which is another smart home automation protocol. Uh, so, But that's a different topic. Um, and I was in a Xiaomi store and I saw the, what's it called, the Mi Note or the Redmi phone, whatever. It looks it looks awesome. It looks futuristic. It looks uh, it looks new, and it looks like the iPhone 10 looked to me two years ago. Mm. And so, I get why some people are saying, you know, Apple is still doing the notch, and Face ID is better than anything else. But you look at these Android phones, and they're all screen, and you literally do not see the notch, and you have the hole punch dis- display. I like that look myself so the combination of that and with the with this huge camera bump that's not in the center of the unit um leads me to say if it's gonna look like this not the best design apple actually one of the worst that you've done uh, in in 12 years of 12 years of iphone so we'll see what they do but if it does look like this i can already imagine you know even though they're obviously not true i can already imagine the hot takes of johnny ive is gone this is what apple makes now even though technically this is a johnny ive phone uh people are gonna say that because that's how people think so i don't look forward to that uh i really hope that 
Apple has some big surprise up its sleeve, even though at this point, you know, it's August, basically, and we're going to have an iPhone event in less than two months. It's very possible. Ugh. The design is pretty much locked in. The design was locked in months and months and months ago. Yeah. And if these dummy units are circulating now, it means that the design is done and accessory makers have the, you know, all the renders and the CADs to start making cases and, all, and whatnot. So it's probably going to look like that. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's not nice <laughs> to me. I agree with all of what you said. I think it's awkward. I think it looks extremely unbalanced with all of that to, to one side. I think being centered maybe would look nicer. But the uh, the thing that, that kind of kills me about this is, and you touched on it, is that the rest of the phone is also just kind of the same. You know, uh, MKBHD actually, actually took issue with something in his video where he said, you know, Apple does a design for the 6 year and then the S year and they change it. That That used to be true, but it's not anymore. The 6, 6S, 7, and 8 are all effectively the same design. You know, the 8 swapped out glass for the aluminum back. But even the 10 is a descendant of the 6, right? It's got the rounded edges, and you know they've changed it over time. But the 10S looks way more like the 6 than, you know, the 6 did the 4. They have kind of been in this place for a long time. And I'd love if they went to something sort of inspired by the iPad Pro or the MacBook Pro, like flat edges again. Yes, that's going back to the four, five sort of generation. There's only so many things you can do with these phones, right? There's only so many things you can do. I understand that. But we've kind of been in this like slippery bar of soap territory for a really long time. And now they've uh, bolted this uh, abomination to the back of it. So, <laughs> But, you know, I will say this too. I, as as you know, guys, and as our listeners know, I, for a long time, was a person who did not use a case on their iPhone. And mm-hmm. after smashing several phones in quick succession, uh, I've been using the Apple leather case now basically all the time uh, on my 10s, And it does make the, the whole issue go away a little bit. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a bump, but look, like, I got my phone right here. The Apple leather case is as thick or even actually a little bit thicker yeah. than the camera bump. And if you have the black leather case, which is the one I use, or a dark color, it's all going to kind of blend together anyway. So, like, yeah, it's really startling when someone's just carrying a phone without a case. But the case, I think Apple relies on the cases to forgive some of this stuff. And, like, to a degree, it works, right? Like, the camera bump on my 10s doesn't bother me when it's in the case. But if I if I'm carrying it out of the case, I, I I definitely notice it more. And I think that will continue to be true, maybe even more true now that this that this camera bump is basically the size of a small planet. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of a discussion on principle, right? Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. like when you look at the design in isolation, it doesn't it doesn't look good. It doesn't look uh, it looks like something has been bolted onto the back of the phone and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's inelegant. That's, I guess, the word that I would use. Um, and it's not, you know, if we, if we were to go all Johnny Ive on it, uh, I would say that it, it feels like the there's a disconnection in in the purity of the object itself in that you have the the main ob- object which is the phone and then you have this extra sort of this extraneous component that was added to it so almost, almost like it was attached to it as an afterthought that's what it looks like to me um again i really hope that i that i really hope that it changes somehow by the final release but i losing hope you know, day after day. Yep. Uh, Mike, do you think this looks good? 
upsetting. This episode connected is also brought to you by Moo. Moo is an online print and design company specializing in customizable business cards, postcards, stickers, and more for your business. Moo is having a semi-annual sale right now. It's live over on moo.com slash relay from July 17th, that's today, through July 23rd, that's in the future. And there's 25% off everything. It excludes shipping and gift cards, but it's the perfect time to reorder or stock up or design something fresh. And Moo rarely has such big sales, so don't miss out. Again, that's moo.com slash relay. They have a full suite of products, business cards, postcards, invitations, letterhead, which by the way, I don't feel like I'm fancy enough for letterhead, but maybe I could change that about myself. Like if I sent you a letter with like letterhead with my name on it looking fancy, you would take it seriously. Stickers, notebooks, flyers. You can seamlessly promote yourself or your brand with Moo products and you can count on their quality. I've got a bunch of Moo business cards here and they're just spectacular. And they've all sorts of these special finishes gold foil, a new silver foil, which looks awesome, raised spot gloss, letterpress, and all these little touches can help make you stand out. And if you're maybe not a designer or you don't want to get into that, Moo recently rolled out new templates for business cards, which are inspired by some of their most creative customers. Like I said, I've used Moo business cards for years and years. Mine are on really heavy cardstock, and every time I hand a business card to somebody, they remark on how nice it is. And, and you know, maybe that'll help me stick in their brain a little bit. And that's not a bad thing. Once again, that's moo.com slash relay. You can head over there and save 25% moo.com slash relay. Our thanks to Moo for their support of Connected and all of Relay FM. All right, Federico. Hmm. Apple is rumored to be getting into the podcast content business. There's an article over on Bloomberg is saying that Apple is looking at this to go against rivals such as Spotify, which of course bought Gimlet Media and a bunch of other podcast content companies and content creators uh, over the last few months. Apple has the largest podcast player in the world. Uh, it is the most popular podcast client uh, and hats off to them for that. It's been a huge success for them, but they've been very hands off in this particular arena. You couple that with the fact that Apple is increasingly a content company, right? There's Apple TV Plus coming. They're working with all these directors and famous people. So you can kind of see maybe they'd want to put these two things together. Uh, Spotify stock fell 1% on the news, uh, which, you know, is probably understandable. Uh, and I'm curious, Federico, what do you think about this? I, I kind of there's a lot of ways we could talk about this. But what do you think about Apple getting into this business that others are already playing with? I wonder if exclusives for podcasts can fare better than what exclusives for music did. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, Apple and uh, both Apple and Spotify and Spotify, they've tried to entice people to subscribe by having some kind of exclusive, uh, exclusive content. Um, you know, Spotify, at one point, at the Spotify sessions um, going on, and Apple was doing, you know, I think they used to do some iTunes uh, extras as well, or you yeah. know, time timed exclusives at least on Apple Music. And I don't think, you know, for the kind of scale that a music streaming service has, and the kind of demand that there is for music, um, I don't feel like an uh, exclusivity necessarily uh, plays into adding subscribers. 
in that I feel like whenever I see an exclusive album, you know, a title would be a great example. There's only frustration around it. And there's, you know, people are upset because they are unable to listen via the service that they're paying for. That creates a lot of friction for the artists. It creates a lot of frustration among among users. And um, I don't, I, you know, it's sort of why we've seen both companies sort of move, move away from that type of deal, you know, doing the exclusives because it didn't benefit the bottom line of adding, of adding subscribers after all. And so I have to wonder if podcasting which has a smaller scale, smaller smaller audience, doesn't have the kind of expectation. You know, Beyonce drops a new album and the album is all available on Tidal. People get upset. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole discussion of here's where, you know, and I've seen these articles, like here's where you can listen to the new Beyonce album for free or here's how you can pirate the new Beyonce album. Here's how you can listen on YouTube. <laughs> right. If Ira Glass drops a new podcast on Apple Podcasts and it's an exclusive, I don't think we, we would see that kind of uh, backlash from people. You, know, you wouldn't see the articles like, here's how you can listen to the new Ira Glass podcast for free. Like people, I feel like there's a, you know, the smaller scale and the smaller audience wouldn't create that kind of anticipation. And so you would be in a situation where, and I'm, and I'm speculating here, you would be in a situation where maybe 10,000 people or 20,000 people or 50,000 people just hit up and su- just hit the subscribe button and sign up and they're mm-hmm. listening to an exclusive podcast now. So I could see why this approach could work for podcasting. On the other hand, as a podcaster myself, I'm not in love with the idea of, you know, everybody's doing its own custom thing now. So why not do why not do it for Apple Podcasts as well? You know we have all these um, proprietary and lockdown podcast platforms, and I'm very much you know if you know me, you know that I'm very much against the idea of locking down podcasts into silos. Yeah. Just like I'm again very much against the idea of you know folks who want to have a blog and instead of you know setting up a blog with their own domain name, they use Medium or things like that. Uh, so I'm very much against locking the platform, uh, locking locking an open medium to a closed platform. Again, though, everybody's doing it, right? Uh, everybody's doing it these days, and and everybody is searching for the YouTube or, of podcasting or the Netflix or podcasting. Call it whatever you want to call it. And it, you know, there's an argument to be made for Apple to, you know, they have the the, the biggest and the stronger and the strongest platform. And they, they have the, the built-in app on hundreds of millions of devices. Anybody who's not, who doesn't have a vested interest in the, in the, in the freedom of podcasting, in, in, the, in the free nature of the RSS spec behind podcasting would say, why are you not doing this yet? Mm-hmm. I, can see, I can see the arguments of bo- on both sides. Uh, I'm really fascinated by the idea that exclusives could work better for for podcasts than they did for music. I feel like there's a there's a discussion there about uh, the you know podcasts don't have even though there are super popular podcasts. I don't feel like there are podcasters that can uh, move the kind of audience that Kanye West or Beyonce or you know Shawn Mendes for example can move. And so those big artists cannot afford to do exclusives anymore, and that is why. They're making money in a bunch of other ways, but maybe podcasters can. 
maybe podcasters will would not run into those kinds of problems. It does feel like if anyone can do this successfully, it's Spotify and Apple. And Apple Apple's market share, at least of the of the player, is way way bigger than Spotify's. I mean, and the Apple Podcast app is is the app in this world. Even amongst shows like ours, where a lot of people use third party clients, the Apple Podcast client is extremely popular. And if you look into sort of podcasting on the whole and other types of shows outside of tech, it's the vast majority. So it it does feel like if anyone could have the number of people, like the number of users to make it even possible, it's Apple, right? Like that, that's something where something like Luminary, like they still have any users and they're not going to be able to to build a business to make all this work without uh, some sort of critical mass of listeners. And Apple has that, right? Because their their player is so big. I do agree with you. I, I mm-hmm. f- am firmly in the camp that podcasting should be open to the point where I actually don't consider like platform specific content. Those aren't podcasts, right? Like it's, it's audio content. You know, podcasting is something that is open and you can listen anywhere you want because it's based on the RSS spec. This other, this in my mind is slightly different. It, it may, the content is obviously very similar, but one thing that makes podcasts special is that the, the ecosystem around it is so flexible. And uh, so I agree with you on, on all of that. Um, I, I do find it interesting that they are looking into this. Apple TV plus is going to be coming this fall. Right, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Apple Arcade is coming this fall. Uh, Apple News is already here, but uh, you know that's doing its thing, I guess. Apple is continuing to like push into this world where they have um, they have uh, multiple content offerings, and and you know we still assume or still hope that there's going to be some sort of grouping of those things, right? We don't have to pay for them all separately. Who knows? But it feels like this is just in line with that, right? This this feels like a very natural extension to me of everything else they're doing. Um, and I could even see Apple leveraging podcasts in ways to benefit their other their other content areas and not necessarily putting it behind a paywall. So like, you know, I, I uh, for instance, a show that I really love is Better Call Saul. It's, it's, you know, kind of a before the time of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And there's an excellent podcast with the producers, the writers, the actors, and it's out every week. And so that's a podcast I've listened to for four years now, however long the, the TV show has been on, because it goes behind the scenes and talks about the process. And that sort of content Apple could do with Apple TV Plus or even Apple Arcade, talking to the creators behind this content. And they could just put that in the podcast directory, right? And and I, I'd like – if Apple's going to do this, they're going to have a paywall with audio content, like the, whatever, that's fine. But I, I would hope that they could also see the benefit of having open content, even it, even if it is to benefit their other stuff. I think people will be really interested in that. You know, there's a lot. Of, there are a couple of Apple TV Plus shows I'm really interested in watching. I'd love to hear more about them. So Apple could use their podcast directory and their size for more than just uh, making a few bucks. So it's it's a very interesting story. There's also some breaking news about Spotify. We should we should squeeze in here. You guys ready? You guys sitting down? I think I know what it is. What is it? They support split view and slide over now on the iPad. What is that year? It? What year did those features come to the iPad, Federico? Yeah, it was a uh, iOS nine, so that would be twenty fifteen, which is uh, four years four ago. Four years ago. So uh, yeah, well done, 
Spotify iOS team. I look forward to the day in twenty twenty one when they will support drag and drop. <laughs> so looking forward to that. Yeah. Spotify doing stuff. Uh Mike, do you have anything you want to add to this? Yes. Yes, but he cannot add it now. Yeah. So maybe it's follow up. I think it means that next time we will talk about it because he has thoughts, but those thoughts cannot be shared because of physical reasons today. So, Mike, will you uh, put this in follow up for next week? I'm on vacation, so it's up to you. Yes. All right. To round out today's episode, we are here to celebrate World Emoji Day. Before we get into this, I just we've had a lot of tweets about this. Last year, we had Federico guess the names of the emoji. We did that based on Apple's full set of artwork. All Apple has shown at this point is a couple of samples. And so uh, Federico is, is, is restraining himself from looking at these things. And we're actually not going to talk about the new emoji today because that would be spoiling him for the future episode. Uh, but that's when we'll do it, when Apple unveils the full set. That should be in the fall. Generally, it's with, you know, a, a point update for iOS. So maybe iOS 13.1 or 13.2 would have these new emojis. So we'll do that then. So it is coming. It's just not today. Um, there are a couple of links in the show notes. I've only seen one. Okay. Actually, a couple. Uh, I see, I've see. i seen one because I, I just, you know, I, I saw the article on Mac Stories. Um, and we'll talk about... Oh, I'm not f- yeah. familiar with that. And we'll talk about it this fall when they actually come out. But I saw one that almost looked like, um, like, a, like a, ro- a robotic Italian gesture. Mm. Uh, there's like a, you know, you know the, the, Italian, the Italian hand with like the typical Italian gesture? Like in Italian, like with the with the with the hand closed, mm-hmm. you know, and the fingers facing upwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a robot making that gesture. So I think that it, that will be called uh, Italian robot or Italian robot arm. Yeah. Um. So, so that that's my in understanding that it's that you know a, a break real breakthrough in emoji design. Um, Italians and robots together finally at last um, there's others that I that I just very quickly glanced over and I will uh, you know I have a couple of months to think about them yeah. uh, I haven't read any of the image captions or explanations or details you know I I have blocked Jeremy Burge from my contacts. No, I actually, <laughs> but, you know, I haven't blocked Jeremy. I haven't blocked Jeremy. Actually, uh, I spoke to Jeremy the other night. We knew this was coming. I said, "Hey, are they going to show the whole set?" He said, "No, no. You know, they just showed the. They're just going to do like what they normally do. You know, showing the. As he believed they would show a preview, which is what they've done. Uh, so we're just going to park all that until the fall. So you know, September, October, whenever that happens. Uh, but it is World Emoji Day, and there's a lot of." Uh, a lot of brands are doing things like literally as we're talking my the university that I went to has a tweet about World Emoji Day which is very troubling uh but Adobe went out and they have performed this massive uh study I guess is what you would call it looking at trends of emoji and I I found this really interesting so I thought uh Federico you and I could talk through it and we'll ask Mike some questions okay so uh this is looking at uh users of emoji looking at the top three favorite emojis. And I, I got to say, I'm not sure there's many surprises in here. Uh, so one is like the uh, the laughing guy with tears coming out. You know, you're laughing so hard, you're crying. 
Number two is the red heart. And number three is the little uh, blowing a heart kiss. You know, like a mwah kind of kind of person. Oh, I like that. Can you can you do that again? Mwah, like that. Oh. Good. Mm. <laughs> Did that heal you, Mike? Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't. I'm not surprised by any of those. I don't think, Mike. Are you surprised by any of those? No. So we so we have LOL guy, heart, and and kiss. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So we're, we're going to keep going here. So a majority, 81% of emoji users, believe that people who use emoji are friendly and more approachable, which like there's some bias in that, right? Because every, everyone views themselves as friendly and approachable. Uh, do you think that that's true? Do you think that, that people who use emoji, say, in text messages or in tweets, do they feel nicer to you, Mike? Yes. Mm. What about you, Federico? <laughs> I've met some real ass. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Steven, you'll have to beat this one. <laughs> yeah, fixed. <laughs> um. But look, look, let's just talk about Casey less for a second. Casey uses more emoji right. than any grown man I've ever met. And I think most people would say Casey's a pretty nice guy. So, like, this is an example. But uh, that's that's debatable, though. Uh. <laughs> Still, uh, um, I think I think um, generally speaking, I could see why people who people think that other people who use you know these little characters, these little figurines, they have an they have a fun edge to them. Maybe you know, like hey, I can be fun. I can use emoji. I can you know, I can I can have colors in my text. Whereas uh, some of my friends, for example, um, super nice people, right? But they, uh, I have a friend in particular who uses punctuation mm. whenever he texts me. Mm-mm. It's like, hello, period. Mm-mm. How are you? And he's like. He's a super fun guy, but he has this punctuation thing going on. Uh, I don't. I don't know why. It's, he sounds constantly upset, even though it's not. And that's because we come to see punctuate proper punctuation as a sort of a, as a as a looking looking down looking down upon someone. I don't know, but it just feels he, he would never use emoji. Uh, but he's a fun person in real life. Hmm. So uh, it's it's a. I feel like this is a fun type of uh, study that uh you know somebody should do my dad does that but some for some reason on his iphone he's just learned to type and so he like types a sentence and then a space and then the punctuation Hmm. so it's like happy birthday space exclamation point no it's very upsetting (laughs) when asked about emoji's greatest benefits and uh the federico this is going to be for you 94 percent of people said that it makes communicating across language barriers easier and 90% said that it's it's a way to instantly share thoughts and ideas. So, Federico, you live in a world with more than one language. Does emoji help you cut through that? Uh, not when it's a pizza emoji. Oh, um, yeah, because the egg, once again, the pizza emoji is wrong. Uh, it's a, it's mm, not. We don't need to. It's do not that. pizza. Uh, there's an episode of Connected that you can listen to for an explanation about this very problem that is sadly not fixed in iOS 13. But I feel like I cannot think of any examples of an emoji that you guys sent me that didn't make sense to me or that it was uh, cultural, culturally different or like 
that that I just didn't understand. Like I'm, I think it, there's some truth to the fact that they are emojis are sort of like a universal language. There's, I'm sure there are cases of certain characters or objects meaning sound something profoundly different in another country or in another language. But I feel like from a from a you know Western civilization type point of view, Italy and the U.S. are close mm-hmm. enough that you know I get what the eggplant emoji means. Obviously, you want to do cook some mm. pasta, and so therefore you need the eggplants. Um, you know, I think it would be interesting to compare common emoji uses between I don't know Italy and India, for example, or I don't know, Greece and Brazil. I bet that you would see some fascinating differences there. Um, so, I don't know, you know, it's a very, again, very fascinating topic from the point of view of, you know, what it means on a cultural level to share certain uh, emotions or objects or char- characters via emoji. Uh, somebody should write a paper about this. The uh, The second part of that's interesting to me that you could instantly share a thought or idea. Because I, I think, actually, a lot of emoji are clear, but there are definitely certain examples that are very open to interpretation. And then you add in the fact that you may be texting somebody not on the same platform as you are. So this has gotten better over the years, but there are a couple of characters that on iOS and Android are rendered differently enough where like it could be confusing. So I don't know if I'm in that 90% there. Uh, I mean, lots of times it does work like a thumbs up or, you know, the the kissy heart guy or something like that's like it's a point across. But I do think that in certain circumstances, emoji actually add confusion to things. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm just uh, showing my age a little bit. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about emails and brands. Over half, 58 percent of emoji users are more likely to open an email from a brand it has an emoji in the subject line. Mike, should I include emojis in the subject line of the Relay FM membership newsletter now? Yes. All right. Can I decide the emoji? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> good. Good. Very good. The article has spoken. Uh, 65% of emoji users say they are more comfortable expressing their emotions through emoji than a phone call. I'm going to keep reading. This is especially true for Gen Z. Uh, 83% of those people uh, say that that's true of them. Of course, uh, just uh, to clarify, Gen Z is people born between 1997 and 2015. Maybe this is me being old, but I, I, I can see this, right? I can see the same way that text is easier than like calling somebody if you need to share something. Um, but again, like maybe this in my mind plays into the Emoji can be misread and confusing at times. I don't know, Federico. Like, what? Like, if I, if I ask you this question, Federico, are you more comfortable expressing your emotions through emoji than a phone call? Ooh, phone calls. That's what it says. Really? Ooh. Mm. No. See, I and and I'm not joking here. I have blocked people in my address book because they call me on the phone too early in the morning. I, yes, I very much despise talking on the phone. Okay. Um, Even though I understand 
that in some cases it is much faster than coordinating something over a text message. Totally. So I use phone calls, but I always make sure that I can call somebody beforehand. I don't drop in on somebody and just call them on the phone and be like, hey, let's talk on the phone. No, I don't do that. So I feel like the phone call is always agreed upon beforehand. Um, I very much prefer to use text or emoji or whatever. Uh, what is it, to share emotions? Was that the question? Yes. Uh, yeah. Are uh, you more comfortable sharing emotion with emoji or via phone call? I don't know. Am I supposed to like call my girlfriend and, and on the phone and say, love you, good night, instead of sending like a heart emoji when I'm away? Like, yeah, we FaceTime. So like... I don't. I, I don't understand what what a uh, sharing uh, emotions via emoji involves. You're too old. We finally found something you're too old for. I got. I got. Yeah. I guess I'm too old for that. Um, Mike, would do you find yourself uh, expressing emotions via emoji? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, <laughs> I really love this approach, Stephen, <laughs> where we can just summon, uh, you know. Uh, the, it's like it's like a magic eight ball. It's, it's like thus spoke uh, Mike Athustra, you know, <laughs> the Nietzsche thus spoke Zarathustra. No, nobody studied philosophy here. No. Anyway, moving on. Uh, That's just a reference for two people out there. Um, what else do we have about emoji? Uh, uh, so to, to wrap this up, seventy eight percent of emoji users. Agree that emoji can, should continue to strive for uh, making themselves more inclusive, you know, bringing more people in. 73% of people wish they had more emoji customization options to better reflect their personal appearance and identity. This has been something that's been going on the last several rounds of new emoji, right? You can change hair color and skin tone. In, um, in the future, there's even more options for this sort of thing. And uh, I think that's awesome because, they're you know, if you're going to send uh, an emoji to, to share an emotion, you know, for example, that emoji should look like you. You should feel like you identify with it and the receiver identifies it with you. And uh, so I think I think there's absolutely always more work to do here. And uh, so I'm, I'm part of the 78 percent here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little more emoji news. The most popular of the new emoji that came out last year is the smiling face with hearts. This is the smiling face with the three little hearts sort of in orbit around the face. Uh, Mike, is that an emoji that you that you like? Love. 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 Uh, just to round out the top list, there's that one. There's pleading face, which I don't think I've ever actually used. There's woozy face, which is very upsetting looking. Overheated, where the face is red and the tongue is sticking out like a sweat bead. I find that one kind of funny. Partying face. And then freezing face. Uh, those sort of round out the top six. But by far, smiling face with hearts uh, took this took this away. This is based on page views on the Emojipedia website over over the last year. I think it's a great emoji. Okay? I think it's uh, it's warm. And it makes me feel fuzzy inside. So I think this is a well deserved award. Mike uses it a lot. I think. Yeah. I've seen. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, uh, nice. This is very nice. Inter- very interesting data points here. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder, you know, Apple should participate in this kind of stuff because they, they, they probably can see, you know, with the whole differential privacy thing that they have on iOS. I bet they have some interesting data to share. Uh, but still, you know, 
it's it's fun to it's fun to to have this kind of data from Emojipedia and, and Adobe. So very nice, very, very nice. Cool. So uh, we're going to round this out a little bit by talking about how emoji are selected. It is a complicated process through the Unicode committee. Uh, our friend Mark over at Welcome to Macintosh went through this process a while back and actually submitted an emoji that got like in the standard. So the the yoga emoji that was Mark's suggestion which is really cool. He's the only person I know who has had an emoji put in Unicode because of his work. Uh, if you didn't listen... Jeremy! Well, Jeremy Jeremy invented emojis, so that doesn't count. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's two words, Mike. The, uh, Damn. So yeah. So anyways, uh, Unicode... So this is story going on, going around. Unicode is making it easier to suggest new emoji. It is still very much a very complicated process. They basically sort of like re-skinned the website a little bit, so... Uh, there's a lot of work. You submit it. It goes to committee. People vote on it. Jeremy's part of that committee. And uh, it's it's quite the process. Definitely go check out Welcome to Macintosh. If you didn't listen to that, like you need to go put that in your podcast client because it is – it was so fascinating to hear the process as someone went through it. Uh, it's a great idea for a show. So I think that – I think that about does it, uh, Federico and half of Mike. It's been a kind of a, a nutty week with some oddball stuff, but we made our way through it. Mike, do you think the show is, is time to you think it's time to wrap up the show? Yes. If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, you can find them in your podcast app of choice, but they're also on our website, relay.fm slash connected slash two fifty-two. While you're there, you can send us an email with feedback or follow-up, or you can do that on Twitter. You can find it. Mike there is I M Y K E, and Mike is the host of a bunch of shows over on Relay FM. You can find Federico on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he's the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. You can follow me on Twitter as ISMH and find my writing at 512pixels.net. I thank our sponsors this week, ExpressVPN, Hover, and Moo. And until next time, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Adios.